All right. Well, thank you all. If you have your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on Titus chapter 3, we're almost done. We've got two more times. We'll be in the book of Titus. As you're turning there, you know, I was, uh, I wanted to bring up last week's message. I got to watch it and listen to it on Thursday. Guys, I got to be, I got to be honest. I really think God is trying to get our attention. If you think about how often and how much we have been emphasizing prayer, and even this morning as I was thinking through it and I was doing my prayer walk around the property, and I just, I'm so much more convinced now that prayer is the foundation. And here's why I say, it's like, well, you always push the scriptures. I do. But in order for me to hear anything from God, I have to pray, right? I have to pray that God would reveal things to me, that I would understand things, that he would show me things, and so I pray. When you watch the early church, they didn't, have, they didn't all have individual Bibles. They prayed. They prayed about anything and everything. And friends, I didn't tell Chris what to preach. I didn't even tell him that there's this emphasis in prayer that we've had. He really didn't know. In fact, this is all that I said. I said, hey, Chris, we, we just finished end of chapter 2 of Titus. If you feel the Lord leading you to take chapter 3, take it. If not, go wherever you want, wherever you feel like the Lord is leading you to go. And then I listened to it, and I'm like, man, God, I think you're trying to get our attention. And I'm so thankful for what he said, and he did it in such a gracious way and a very bold way, which I'm like, well, that's kind of our culture. I'm thankful for men that will come in and preach truth, even though it might be a little bit hard to hear. But my guess, my question is, has it impacted your life this week? When you prayed, at any, at any point this week when you prayed, did you actually pray with this idea in mind that if you pray, if you ask of anything of the Lord that's according to his will, it's yours? I mean, did we go with that confidence with God that if I, I can go before the king of the universe? And guys, prayer is the most powerful thing. It's not the last ditch effort. I've tried everything else. It's the first response. But when you prayed, and when we prayed, did we go before God and go, God, I'm just going to ask, and I'll submit to your will, but if it's according to your will, I know that I can claim that this is mine, that this is ours. And I know, friends, a lot of times we might pray for God to do the immediate. We also need to trust God in that he answers in his own timetable. Friends, I was so blessed and so thankful but did he really bring anything new? Like it wasn't a new concept, prayer, what is that? I've never heard of it. I mean, we know what prayer is, so it's more of a reminder, right? And then as I start thinking about my, my role as a shepherd and role as an elder of this church, I sit and go, a lot of my job is that. I mean, if I'm sitting with people and talking through issues, I'm, I'm praying, God, give me wisdom that I can what? Remind them of what the scriptures teach. Remind them of what God says. I'm not coming up with new ideas. I'm just going, God, would you show me? And would you help me to convey this correctly? I mean, think about it. David and Goliath always ends the same, right? There's no, there's no uh, optional ending. There's no second ending. It's the same every single time. Noah always builds the boat. The earth always gets flooded. And they always make it. I mean, it's the same thing. Jesus still comes back from the dead. Did I ruin the ending? He always wins. And so here I come. It's like, okay, so I'm going to open up the Bible. And for those of you who've walked with the Lord for a while, and you, like you've read at least once, like you've read this book, 
Maybe, maybe at times you find yourself going, I've heard, I know that. I know that. But friends, it is so important to be reminded. Because that's my job, is to remind myself, to remind you, to remind us as we continue to move forward as a community. And I bring that up because when you look at verse, uh, chapter 3 of verse 1 in the book of Titus, the first two words are what? Remind them. Remind them. You're supposed to remind them of what? Now remember Paul's talking to a guy named Titus. Titus is in a tough place of ministry called Crete where they're known, as, known to be liars and gluttons. They're known to be murderous, riotous. I mean, this is not an easy place to do ministry and yet God has called Titus to go there and now Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is giving him instructions on how to do ministry and what to do for the church. Like, how's the church supposed to act in tough areas? And as he's starting to close down his letter, this personal letter from Paul to one person, he says, remind them to. Remind them to do these things. And Paul's not the only one to do it. If you take your Bibles, if you want to turn to the great, if not, it'll be up on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is Peter. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Did you hear that part? I want to remind you of these qualities, even though you know them. And even though you're established in them, I want to remind you of these things. Well, what are these qualities? Go back to verse 5. He says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brother affection, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. These are the qualities. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming or being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that phrase, and are increasing? In other words, we're constantly in process, but I guess my question to us is this, are we working these things out? Friends, I receive salvation, but I'm also called to work out my salvation. I'm supposed to work out these qualities so that I improve in them. We could look at these and go, well, faith and virtue, okay, yeah, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. Why do I need steadfastness? Because sometimes the life is hard. You need endurance, marathon runners. Like, you need it. You're going to hit some mile, and your body's going to be like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anymore. No. And you'll have to what? Endure. Keep going. Steadfastness. Keep moving forward. And followers of Jesus, it's no different for us. Guys, there are aspects of this life that are so amazingly joyful and joy-filled. And they're exciting and they're wonderful. And then aren't there times where all of a sudden crisis doesn't knock on the door and ask if it's a good time? The difficult situation just seems to barrel in like that unwelcomed guest or family member. And just says, hey, I'm, I'm setting up camp. And then what do we do? We endure like we keep moving forward, steadfastness with godliness. That friends, we should be working out our salvation. Why? That we could increase in godliness. No matter what comes our way, no matter what people do or say, we will always strive by the help of the Holy Spirit to respond and to react in what? Godliness. In order for that to happen, I have to say no to my desires and yes to his. And isn't that harder than we think or harder than we confess at times? 
So he says, these are the qualities that I need to remind you of. And friends, forgive me that I don't know that I've done this enough. Guys, I'll bring up, hey, we should be living with Christ and by Christ so that we can live for Christ. I'll mention that we should be reaching people that they might come to know Christ. I might bring up, hey, we should be in home churches and D groups and But when's the last time I said, friends, I want you to pray in such a way that your faith will increase, that your self-control will increase, that your godliness will increase? When's the last time I reminded us of the beauty of God's grace and his mercy, that there's forgiveness in Jesus, no matter what? That if you're here or listening online or watching online, if you don't know, if you don't know God, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, there is forgiveness where you can be restored into relationship with God that he redeemed you on the cross. He took your place. For those of you who do have a relationship with Christ and you're struggling, or there's this habit or hang up that just keeps getting you and you feel defeated, can I remind you that there's forgiveness You can make it. And it might take everything in you. And so you do your part and you work out your salvation and then you you rely upon God and you confess, God, I can't do this by myself. And the Holy Spirit who's known as the helper says, finally you're getting, no you can't. But you're talking to the God who says all things are possible. There's nothing impossible with God. Friends, may we accept reminders from Scripture and the nudges that God gives us, the reminders that we would grow in faith, in love, in purity, in hope. Back to 2 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 12 again. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Do you know what he's talking about there? He's like, I know I'm about to die. I know I'm about to be martyred. And when you look at church tradition and church history to know that Peter was crucified and yet requested to be crucified upside down because he did not find himself worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus did. He says, I'm about ready to die, but before I die, at no point do you see him say, would you pray for my release? He's like, I know this is coming, so here's what I want to do. In the little bit of time that I have, I want to remind you. I want to build you up so that when I'm gone, nothing changes. Why? Because following Jesus has never been based upon following a human personality. It's always been about him. It's always been about intimacy with him. He says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Friends, you know what I desire most? I desire that no matter what you face, that one day when God says, Brian, you are done, that you will be able to recall the things that maybe I got to preach that came from the scriptures and go, I can do this. That even now, while we're still around, like when I'm around here, it's like, I can do this because we're just looking at what the scriptures teach and my reliance upon, is upon Jesus and not upon Brian or whoever's standing behind a pulpit. It's, no, no, it's about him, that we're reminded of the things of God. That's my desire.
Not that you become more reliant upon me or this this community. On Jesus first. Always him. And then we find support in in and among each other. But never one personality, one person. There should be no celebrity in the church except Jesus. It should never be about, oh, did you hear that person preacher? Did you hear what they wrote? Or did you see their blog? Did you see him on YouTube? No, no. It's just Jesus. So let me throw out some reminders that I think come from this passage. Reminder number one. Who we follow should impact how we live. Who we follow should impact how we live. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling. That phrase, avoid quarreling, means to be peaceable, not looking for a fight. Ah, some of you, that's your hobby. Like, I just want to fight. I haven't gotten a fight in like seven hours. Today's the day again. It's like you just, anytime someone offends you, it's like, oh, boom, we're just going to bring it. You're going to throw down some elbows. And here comes the scripture saying, avoid quarreling. Avoid the fight. To be gentle. Uh, Real quick, men. This is the one where you go, nah, mm -mm, I don't like that one. Ready? Because you can't throw down gently. Right? You can't be man gently. Yet are we really called to just be human men or are we called to look like Jesus? Isn't it amazing that Jesus, the one that we say that we follow, gentlemen, he is the greatest example of what a man is. There would be times where he'd stand against the religious leaders and he would call them out. And then right after that, he'd go and sit with a little kid and he placed a little kid on his lap. Gentle meekness. Meekness is like having the perfect emotional response to every single situation that comes up in the moment, every time. Meekness is quiet strength to be gentle. And watch this last one. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Are you kidding me? There are just some people that don't deserve it. Like, if we're, don't, like, don't judge me. It's just it's like there's times. And we look at this list and go, ah, oh, but Brian, that's not how the world works. Brian, you don't know how the world works. It's not that. That's not how the world works. So tell me, for those of you that's your first gut reaction, at what point did God say, I want you to act just like the world? Guys, isn't that the phrase we use? That's not how the world works. And so therefore, because that's not how the world works, I need to act just like the world, all the while justifying disobedience to what God calls us to do as followers of Jesus. Like at what point do we think that Jesus said, well, I I didn't know. I mean, I came, but I was God and I'm blinded. I didn't know that's how the world works. Just be jerks. Just let them have it. Guys, as long as we keep using that example or that phrase as that's not how the world works, and we justify why we can act that way, tell me, how are we making a difference or showing that there's actually a difference in Jesus? 
Guys, this isn't the only list that he's written before. When he wrote to the church at Rome, this is a little bit lengthy, but hang in there with me. Chapter 12, starting in verse 9, he said, Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What? Guys, there will come times where you will show the love of Jesus and people will not respond well. And here's what Paul says. As much as it depends on you, you do your part. You do what you can. And their response is on them. But your reaction and response is on you. You do your part. And live this as much as you can. Live at peace, peaceably, peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved. Watch it. Here it is. Never avenge yourselves. Guys, I don't know how I can get around this. Well, what does the word never mean? Never. It pretty much means never. It's not like, ah, except there's, except there's an except clause. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. And you're like, yeah. We leave it to him. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. To the contrary of what? Showing vengeance to others and have avenging myself. On the contrary, if your enemy, I'm sorry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. What's that mean? He'll be ashamed. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so out of these things that I mentioned, these qualities or attributes, things that we're supposed to be and do, Are there any that you need to confess that you're not living up to? And I don't say that as a shame, because as I've been saying and teaching and as I've experienced, guys, in prayer, it's just been so freeing to go before God and go, God, I'm not living like this. Like, my heart isn't this. When there's unforgiveness, it's like, I don't want to forgive God. Would you help me? And that's where I go, God, you... I'm supposed to, and I know you tell me to, I don't want to, but because I have been forgiven a great deal, would you help me to forgive them? And not just, oh, I feel okay, just keep away, but actually truly forgive them. Guys, if you entered into that place with God where you can confess and not feel condemnation, because the scriptures say that for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. The confession is God's gift to us. To bring about intimacy with him when sin, when sin keeps us at a distance. Have you entered into confession? And then to confess, then into repentance. Have you entered into that sweet time that comes with prayer? Because I think I mentioned this, and I, read, I sent out an email to whoever we have an email for with a book that I read. I think it's called The Prayer Life or A Prayer Life by Andrew Murray. And the first chapter just smacked me. 
well, spiritually smacked me. I couldn't sleep, and I thought, I'll just, I never read his stuff. I just thought, I'll read this. It'll help me go to sleep. It kept me awake for like another hour and a half. I'm like, God, this isn't funny. But the first thing he said is this. You need to confess your sin of prayerlessness. It wasn't just you're not praying enough. Confess your sin of prayerlessness. And I was like, I'm guilty. I mean, I'll pray for people, and I'll pray before a message, and I'll pray that God would open up my heart to hear what he's saying, but to actually pray. I mean, to sit in prayer as long as it takes to be silent before the Lord, not to just look at God and say, hey, I'll give you these 30 minutes, that's what I got today. But to sit there and go, I'm gonna try to organize my day and go, God, I want you to take as long as you need. As long as you need, like whatever you need to do, bring things up. So we've done this 24-hour prayer thing, right? And for those that's like, well, I didn't know about it, you can still sign up. You just, on the, on the, on the Connect card on, um, on our website, just put uh, 24-hour prayer. I'll find a way to get you connected. You can pick a time. Well, no one was picking the 1 a.m. shift. And I'm like, leader, I'll do it. I'm usually up then anyways. Not because I, not because I stay up that late. I usually wake up, have to go to the bathroom, and I can't go back to sleep. So I'm like, let's, let's connect it to Jesus and his throne. Let's do that. So, it's been awesome though. So this morning, I'm up at one, and I'm praying, and I was reading a couple things about shepherds and what we're supposed to do, and praying and praying, and, and then I felt like it was about time to be done, and no joke, so I started when I was supposed to be done at two, and I looked, and all of my clocks said 3.03, and I sat there, and I went, oh my gosh, did I just, like God, did you just, t-? I'm serious, this is me in my office. Guys, I don't know why you listen to me. In my office, seriously, I'm sitting there going, God, did you just envelop me in, like in your presence? And I'm just like in it. And I'm serious, I'm like, it's 303. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I it felt like I just lost an hour. <laughs> and then that's what it is, like, oh, this wasn't a spiritual experience. It's this stupid clock change. The spring one sucks. Because you lose an hour, but I felt so special. Like, I felt like I was on the lap of Jesus, except then he's like, mm, you were, but I took, well, the government took it away from me. It wasn't me. They changed it. But friends, what God has done in my life for almost, well, for as long as I've been walking with the Lord, prayer has been the thing that's the hardest for me. And over the last month, it's been the sweetest thing. And all I can do is thank Jesus. That I was like, I had to confess it to him and say, I'm just gonna wait, God, whatever you want. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm praying. Like, this is what you meant. And for those of you that are on my, my list where I'm constantly checking in on you and driving you nuts with texts, it's gonna continue. But now when I see your name on my list, I start to pray for you. Every time I see your name, I'm just praying. I now have this in my office on my door. There's three by five cards with people's names on it. It's like my prayer wall. And this morning, I was just standing there. I was just looking at them. I just had my hands on certain things going, God, would you please work? Would you please work? Would you please do this? And I wasn't doing this before. And it's also in those times of prayer that I can confess, God, I'm struggling here. But thank you for your grace. That's reminder number one. Reminder number two, we used to be like everyone else. Guys, we used to be like everyone else. Look at this. Titus chapter three, verse three. 
For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Guys, why does he bring this part up? Because he just got done saying, this is how we should be, especially that last part. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Well, why should I do that? For we all used to be like this. Titus, I know. I know you and your community are having a hard time. I know that the culture is so different than you. And maybe some are sitting there going, why should we do these things? Why should we be obedient? Nobody else is. Why should I be submissive to the governing authorities? Nobody else is. For we ourselves were once. We used to be just like that. But I guess my question with that comes, are we still like that? Again, as long as we keep saying, well, that's not how the world works. But what if you settled for how the world works instead of experiencing the life that Jesus wants us to live? See, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul starts to describe, this is what, the, this is what it's like before knowing Jesus. Like, what is, what is it like before coming into salvation with Christ? He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, or the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who we once were following our passions and our desires. Isn't it amazing how quick we are, or we can become, at judging those who have some kind of experience or thought or feeling which leads to a lifestyle that we don't agree with because it goes against the Bible. We sit and we can become judgmental instead of sitting there going, wait, 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 wait. Before Christ, I used to follow all my desires and passions. But then it leads to this next question. Do you still follow all of your fleshly passions and desires? Or when we have them, do we actually look at God and say, God, what do you say about this? And therefore I'll obey. I'll say no to the things you say no to and yes to the things that you say yes to. See, he's reminding Titus, and, he's, and therefore we will be reminded as well of what things were like before Jesus and there's, there are problems that come when we forget this. And I just wrote down four statements. I think these are problems that come when we forget where we've come from. The first is this. When we forget where we've come from, we become less effective for the cause of Christ. Why? Guys, I'm, if I forget where I've come from, that before the cross, before me surrendering to Jesus, that I was just like everyone else, I can then, in arrogance, look at those who don't know Christ and instead of having compassion for them and going after them with the grace of God, I can find myself becoming irritated by them and therefore to keep my distance only to result in sitting and living in a happy, holy huddle. Guys, when I forget where I've come from, that's one thing that happens. Another one is this. When we forget where we've come from, we forget about the miraculous work Jesus has done for us or done in us. Not just for us, but in us. Followers of Jesus, do you see a difference? The longer you've walked with Christ, do you see the difference? And you might say, well, I don't see a lot of difference. The last eight years is pretty much the same. Here's my question to you. Because either God has been unfaithful or you maybe at some point you stopped 
working out your own salvation. Guys, it takes effort to follow Jesus. It's not I surrender to Jesus, I receive your gift of salvation, now just pull me to heaven. Guys, there's no wagon that we get to sit on this side of heaven where he just takes us along to heaven with a Starbucks drink. No. We're supposed to work it out. We're supposed to figure things out. We're supposed to engage. We're supposed to be in the word and in prayer. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to go out, share our faith. We're supposed to live this faith out. And you watch as you continue to commune with God. You watch how he will change you. And how do I know? Because he's done it. He's always done it. He who began the good work in you will carry to completion until the day of Jesus, which means he won't give up. He won't stop the work, no matter what. And if all that you're getting from this morning is that I'm reminding you and therefore you are being stirred up to greater affections for Jesus and being stirred up to the things that we know, then praise God for his grace. The third thing, when we forget where we've come from, humility is replaced by pride, resulting in judgmental legalism instead of passionate and humble service to God and others. Guys, when I forget where I've come from, I become a legalist. It means I'm the standard. If you don't make, and it's, it's not just legalism against those who don't know Jesus, it's legalism toward those who do. That if there's a follower of Christ who stumbles in any way, it's so easy as a legalist to just look and go, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person. And then leave them, in the, leave them, leave them behind. Instead of realizing and remembering we're called to come together, we're called to walk together. There is no hierarchy among the saints as to who is closer to God and not who's more loved or liked by God than the others. Guys, we're all in this together. We come alongside. And the last one I wrote down, when we forget where we've come from, we forget the gift of God's grace and mercy and move toward a place of childish entitlement. When we forget what it is that God has done where we were before, we forget about God's gift of grace and the mercy that he's shown to us. We begin to live as childish and with a sense of entitlement that God, you are supposed to. You better. Guys, in your last, and can you think of the last time in your prayer life, and guys, I, I know that, I don't know if I brought this up with you guys, but I've been thinking through this. The Bible says this, Jesus says, just ask, ask, and it'll be given to you. But how often am I telling God what to do? And I know that for some, you say, I know, well, he knows what I'm saying. And I do believe this. But listen to the difference. God, I pray that you would, versus, God, would you? Would you? Isn't one a question and another a statement? And as I've been trying to change my vernacular before God, where I would ask him, would you please? God, would you do this? Oh, it keeps me in a place of humility. But in my flesh, I find myself, when I say, pray, I pray that you would, it's almost like if he doesn't, I start to get a little bit irritated. But I say, would you? God, would you do this? And I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying the first one. I'm just saying for me personally, guys, it has been so helpful to ask because it keeps me humble before him instead of declaring what I think that he's supposed to do as a childish entitlement. Guys, another vice list, another thing that Paul says, before Christ, this is what you're like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 11, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And there's the thing. I'm wondering, are, are any of you looking at the list going, I know some people that are just like that. All the while forgetting about the fact that you're probably included in the list. In other words, he's just trying to list out a bunch of people that what? I think he's just trying to say we're all unrighteous before God. You can't sit there and go, well, I'm not none of these. I'm not, I'm not any of these. Really? Are you an idolater? No. No. No? You never put more intention and emphasis on something or someone more than Jesus? I don't have a little statue. I don't like bow down to their statue. I don't know, but do you always check your post? Do you check their timeline? Do you check to see if they wrote on your timeline? Or what if the idol, maybe the idol is not the other person, but what if the idol is you? What if I become my own idol? Guys, have you ever been greedy? You wanted something that somebody else has? I want that. Hair. Jason, you and me, buddy. It's like yours. It's okay, we're good. It's like... Something, hey, they have that. Whatever it takes to take it, I'll get it. That's what I want. You ever struggle with that? You ever take advantage of somebody? You reviled anyone? Spoken ill of anyone? Committed adultery? Like, ah, I've done that. You ever had lust in your heart? Gentlemen, you ever had lust in your heart for a woman? Jesus himself would say, then you are guilty of adultery. I look at this list and go, I've got nothing to say, God. I've got nothing to stand on. And a lot of preachers, they'll use this to try to scare people into, into heaven. You see this list? Are you on this list? Of course you're on this list. And if you don't, you'll burn. Guys, keep reading. Here it is. And such were some of you. Verse 11. Oh, there's the hope. Isn't it great? Bunch of jacked up people are part of that church. People who were before Jesus had this life and then they come to Christ and he's like, and that's what some of you were like. But, oh, and there's the grace. Oh, that's awesome. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Notice it's nothing you achieved, it's what you received. Dang, that rhymed. Did you hear that? I don't remember what I said, but it, I nailed it. You were what? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. God did this work in you. Did it in me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, you were completely changed. Reminder number three. We were rescued and changed by the grace of God. Verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works, catch it, not because of works. He saved us, not because of our good works, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal, rebirth, coming to Christ, like being reborn. And then this renewal is something that continually happens. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit, verse six, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, to be declared as righteous, 
Guys, does that blow anyone else's mind? Because over this past week, can't you think of some things that came to your mind that you're sitting there going, I really hope God forgot about that one. I really hope he wasn't paying attention to what I said or what I did. For those of you who are in Christ, can I remind you what the scriptures teach? Friends, you will fight against your flesh and you will fight against flesh. But the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. Therefore, if God has done that, what right do I have to hold anyone else as if they are unforgiven before God? That if God has forgiven them, then who am I to continue to hold on to it? He said, they're going, ah, they hurt me so bad and I get that. So here's what you pray. God, I don't want to forgive. I don't feel like forgiving. So help me forgive because you've forgiven me a great deal. Help me forgive. Help me, help me, help me. Just keep asking, God, would you please help me? I can't do this by myself. Guys, when we, when we get back to being reminded of the beauty, the beauty of the grace of God and remember that we are recipients of it, then of course our natural reaction and response should be what? Extend it. God is good. And his salvation is beautiful. And we don't deserve it. And no one on the planet has ever deserved it. Welcome to mercy. Welcome to grace. That's the message of the gospel. Reminder number four. Because we've been changed, we should be different. Because we've been changed, we should be different. Verse eight, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What are good works? Treating people well. Looking for opportunities, not just waiting for it to show up. It's almost like, we, it's like a treasure hunt every day, God. Today, what are we doing? What do we do? We become, we, can be, we become like spiritual Christian superheroes. Wherever we can go, we show up and we just want to help and care for and take care of. Why? Because these are excellent and they're profitable for people. And then he says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. This would be about the Jewish law. And here's what I think he's saying. Hey, instead of fighting amongst each other, don't let them just fight and talk about, hey, when it says this, what do you think? Because I hate you because you think that. Hey, your view of the end times is that you suck. What if we have difference of opinions on the things that are secondary and not, and not necessary? We show grace and unity toward those things. But the things that are, that are primary, the divinity of Jesus, saved by grace through faith, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that there's nothing good I can do to present myself before God to be freed and forgiven. That forgiveness is only found in Christ. What if I look at those things and go, these are the primary things. We look at the primary things of faith and we have unity. But all these other things, we stop fighting amongst each other, neglecting a whole world that needs Jesus. At some point, I will realize when I stand before God one day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand before him and go, I was so wrong on a lot of stuff. I got some things wrong. But Jesus, thank you that you helped me get some of the main things right. The followers of Jesus were known for fighting with each other instead of extending grace toward one another. He says, as for a person who stirs that much, I'm sorry, what does he say about these things? They're unprofitable and worthless. 
As for a person who stirs up division, after, listen to this, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Woo! It's like you just ticked off one of the parents. Hey, this is your first warning. And then they kick, and it's not just like, oh, I'm so sorry, and then they're actually repentant. I mean, they like to create division. Warn them once, warn them twice, and then church discipline comes. You either repent or no, you're done. Guys, my prayer for our community is, God, give me wisdom to know when it's time for that. Because it's not like I look forward going, I can't wait for it, I love it. I don't want that. But unity among the body, friends, it is a priority. Warn them once, warn them a second time, and then no more. So I wrote this in my notes. The worship team can come back up. Followers of Jesus, we have been changed. Therefore, we are different called to be different, and invited to make a difference. Did you catch it? We've been changed. Therefore, we are different, called to be different, and invited to make a difference. Followers of Jesus, I'm convinced. For a lot of years, Christians have been trying to show the world, churches have been trying to convey to the world, guys, we're no different than you. I hate that phrase. And I don't think, oh, I'm arrogant. No, 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 no. We're supposed to be unbelievably different. Why? Because if we really believe that the Holy Spirit of God is in us, then should we not be different? Shouldn't we be reacting and responding completely different? The things we do, the things we buy, the things we spend our time on, shouldn't it be completely different? And if the world wants to change and the culture says, hey, this is now acceptable, because in 20 years they're going to say it's not, but if we stay true, this is what the scriptures teach. I hold to what God says, and he doesn't change like the shifting shadows. And because he doesn't change, I'm not changing. And I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And because that is true, I will be different, proudly so, because God has changed me and made me different. And everyone, every follower of Jesus, we should be able to proclaim the exact same thing. We should be different and not apologize for it. Because when you stand out, you don't take the credit. You, give, you then give glory to the Jesus who's changed you. As we close, <clears throat> again, maybe some of you say, Brian, that's not how the world works. Stop using your excuse for disobedience. Repent from your disobedience and come back to what it is that God has called you to do. You don't get to use that as an excuse. I don't get to use it as an excuse. We are called to be different. First Peter, I'll just do one verse. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, I want you to continue to read through verse 12 today. Go 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12, and realize and be reminded this is the truth. We've been changed, and because we've been changed, we're different, and because we're different, we're called to make a difference. Oh, how I pray these reminders stir us up to even greater works and greater affections for Jesus.
Can I pray for us? Would you stand with me as we pray? We'll go into this last song. Jesus, thank you for the difference that you've made. And thank you for your grace and your patience with us that reminders are part of it. We don't have to feel guilty or ashamed, but God, they're expected. Father, I pray that any reminder that I gave that wasn't according to your desire, your will, help us to forget those things. But anything that was reminder that we would continue to live in faithfulness to you, God, please, please stir, those, stir our emotions and our affections more and more for Christ. And in this last song, as we sing to you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you help us to worship God in a manner worthy of who you are? God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.